0: So, here we are in James again. Uh, First, I just want to say thank you for the golfers who came and uh, uh, watched my humiliation. Um, Apparently, being born in Scotland and living 20 minutes from St. Andrew's most of my life and having a father and his brothers and their father and their father's fathers who played golf, it doesn't come naturally to me or instinctively at all. So luckily, my point, my illustration still remains, um, and really was stronger, actually, because it was so true uh, that, you know, just because you grew up in the church or your father was a pastor or whatever, you just don't, you have to practice these things. We have to participate intentionally, discipline ourselves to do the things that God says to do that will grow us to see him present in the world, to understand him, to know him, to walk with him, to love him, to love others. Um, And so, point proven, man. And thanks for the 15 other guys who joined me yesterday. And uh, I I didn't want to like it. I think I liked golf. (laughs) And I'm going to Scotland in two weeks, and imagine my dad's surprise when I say, should we go shoot a few balls? Uh, He's like, soccer balls, (laughs) not golf balls. So thanks, guys. Um, We are uh, in the final section of James, our final week uh, with James. James I love the book of James. He is so practical and straight to the point. Uh, as a father of faith to the friends to whom he wrote, he has been really clear straight to the point about calling them to what they most need to believe and act upon in their current situation in order that their lives might, trans- their lives might transcend their circumstances uh, and that their lives might reflect the amazing life of Jesus that is being born in them so that the communities in which they find themselves might experience the, kingdom of, experience the kingdom of God in their midst, in everyday normal, everyday shoulder-to-shoulder encounters with people, with family, with co-workers, with friends and neighbors. So he's encouraged them to understand that even though they are going through difficult times, in God's hands, all these trials can strengthen them and mature them in the faith. He's cautioned them to watch their tongues and guard their hearts from which the tongue speaks He's made it clear that the only faith that really matters or has any substance in this world is faith that leads to action. And he's been clear that every single one of them has a part to play in this movement that God is building on earth. And we realized even last week that especially those who don't think they can, they're up to much, they're especially able to be used by God. The ones that the world rejects as being not good enough for its systems God is so pleased and delights to say, look what I'm gonna do with this person. You rejected them, I accept them, and I'm gonna change the world through them. So now he closes his writing, and what he chooses to end with is every bit as important as how he began and everything in between. Because last words are somehow usually have an extra degree of importance. The last thing said. For example, when parents go away for vacation, for a weekend or a week or so, and they leave their teenage kids at home, you can pretty much guarantee the last words spoken or written down on a scrap of paper are usually very succinct to the point and meant to be taken very seriously. These are the last things we're saying to you, young child or children as we leave. Don't have parties. (laughs) If you do have parties, please clean up after yourselves. If you do have parties and you don't clean up happy yourselves, at least feed the dog and water the plants. Varying degrees of you know, not expecting things to be done, but please do some essential things. Jesus left his followers with some really important words that his followers have been quoting ever since, and we talk about a lot. Jesus, after he was resurrected and he appeared to his disciples, and one of the last things he says was, I've received all authority in heaven on our, on our earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. So what does James leave his readers with? Well, he leaves them with a call to Prayer a call to prayer. He wants them to encourage them to place the practice of prayer at the center of everything that they do. And it's pretty clear from what else he has said that he believes that much of what he has called them to will fail or see, will not materialize at all in their lives without this essential aspect of their lives of prayer. Earlier on in the book, during trials, he says, ask for wisdom, and you will receive it. When dealing with the danger of our words, James says, praise God with your tongue from hearts that are being transformed and that begin to be heard through our words. To have a tongue that 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 is pure, that is holy, that is helpful, that is encouraging, use it to praise God most and first. And when seeking to be free from argumentation, to seek unity as a, as a body in a community, ask God for what you need so that you will be satisfied and no longer peeking over to what your neighbor may have or be experiencing. Ask God for what you need. And he says, you don't receive because you don't ask. Or you ask for motives that are selfish. But he says, ask. He talks about humility, the necessity for humility to be the... the tone of our lives, and and this is expressed through dependence upon God in prayer, humility, and he points us toward friendship with God. What is friendship with God? And he says, rather than friendship with the world, be a friend with God. This requires daily communion uh, with God in prayer. You know, I have like a lot of friends on Facebook but most of them, you know, they're not really friends. My friends are the people that I rub shoulders with, that I talk to, that I actually seek to spend time with. They're my friends. And, and the, the alternative, James says, is to be a friend with the world, which is the constant babble of all the information coming at us that would either elevate us with flattery and false ideas about who we are or tear us down or co-opt us into a system as just mere functional units not fully human people but just economic whatever functional units for the profit or pleasure of others and James says be a friend with god be a friend with god and prayer is where that takes place and then last week when making plans he tells us to let the words god's will be done be on our lips in all things god's will your will be done as I enter into this season, this decision, this choice, this new thing, God, may your will be done in my life. Let me be so in communion with you that I I delight myself in you and therefore you give me the desires of my heart because my heart is changing. And now he closes with some really practical instruction that ties all of their lives together with prayer. Prayer. It is James's assertion that without a deep, consistent, and widespread practice and dependence on prayer, his friends will never be able to sustain a healthy, powerful, and effective community of faith, and consequently will not be the vehicle for God's kingdom that the world needs them to be. And this has always been the case in God's work. This concept of prayer has always been woven through every aspect of the people of God and in their engagement with Him in the world. From the very beginning, in the beginning, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light. And what does that really mean? It means, my will be done. From the beginning, my will be done. And at the very end in Revelation, there's this wonderful part at the end where it says the Spirit and the bride, the church and the Spirit together say, come Lord Jesus, it's this expression of longing and connection and communion, the Holy Spirit with the Church say, "Come, Lord Jesus," and then it says, "And we answer, Amen." Even so, come. And everywhere in between, you can do a little survey yourself. Just look at all the moments where prayer was a, it was the, in uh, the motivation and the catalyst for so much. The entire Old Testament book of Psalms is all prayer. It's all prayer. Jesus' life was prayer in action. There's this wonderful book about Keith Green, who was a pretty famous contemporary Christian artist, prophetic kind of guy, and it's called Make My Life a Prayer. Jesus' life was a prayer. Before every major decision or event, he would enter into prayer. And the gospel writers recorded it for us. They wanted us to know this is what Jesus did. And he, though being God, required was so important that he would commune with his Father, getting away from the crowds. Often it's say very early in the morning he would go up to the hillside and spend time in prayer. Before choosing his disciples, it says, one of those days Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the entire night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them. When Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead, this amazing moment recorded in the Gospel of John, The first thing he does, he says, Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. One of the most clear teachings that Jesus gave his disciples when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they saw how important it was to everything he did, and they wanted to know about this. And he taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. Before his arrest and execution, he labored in prayer in the garden of Gethsemane, saying, if there be any other way, Lord, let this not be my path, but not my will be done, God, but your will be done. And even from the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Using the words of of the Psalms to call out to God, Psalm 22, the prayer book of his people, And the church followed this pattern from the very first day. The church did these things. Uh, Acts 1, right after this whole time when Jesus has given them his last words, it says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. It's the first thing it says. They joined together, why? To pray, along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus with his brothers. And then what happened? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place doing what? Praying? And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. What were the people of God doing when the power of God showed up? They were praying. And so the early church continued this. Further on in Acts, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer, devoted. What does that word mean, devoted? It means prioritizing, passionate about, valuing and actually participating in something that is as important to them as food to eat, to sustain them physically. Prayer is what caused this tremendous movement of God. It was focused on that. I tell you, it hit my hometown, Dundee. I said I'm going to Scotland in two weeks. I'm going home to Dundee. And my, most of my time in Britain, my Christian experience has been mostly American. I've been here for 21 years, and I pretty much returned to faith as I moved over to America, the promised land. <laughs> but Scotland is actually, you know, the spiritual home of Christianity, right? Um, but my hometown in Dundee, Scotland, experienced an incredible revival around the, on eight, August 8th, 1839. Um, And I'm going to head back there, and there's a church, St. Peter's Free Church, which I'll probably go kind of visit, Um, but here's what someone said about it. It said, during this time, both public and private prayer meetings were started on impulse. Even the children conducted their own prayer meetings. Imagine that. These little rugrats were saying, let's pray. Man, sometimes that's what it takes. It takes little kids to tell us the way, right? And Jesus said, be like them. And so actually the pastor of the church was gone and he'd actually prayed, Lord, let it, be, let it be in my absence that you work that I would not get any glory. And true enough, God answered his prayer. This standing minister came and things just kind of blew up. Um, so he found 39 prayer meetings when he came back. He was visiting Israel, actually. He came back, 39 prayer meetings had sprung up, five of them being conducted by children for children. Prayer groups continued to proliferate. Prol- I can't say proliferate. That's a hard word. In the city and in the factories, a grassroots revival. You know, and I, and I think it began with prayer. But, and, but that was what—it's like a, a ball rolling down the hill, snowball gathering more. So James likewise calls us to prayer, in the spirit of his brother Jesus and the church that he was part of leading. The last thing he says is, "People, if you do anything, do this." Pray. I'm going to read the text. It's the very last section of James. If you have a Bible, and you want to follow on the screen. Um, remember, you know, make sure I'm not telling you porky pies, right? It's telling you stories. Check up on me, right? So, not that I'm planning to, but you know, we are the church, right? We interpret script together. We read together, and we—that's a safeguard for us. Okay. Chapter five, verse thirteen. Is anyone among you in trouble? So what does James want us to notice? Well, firstly, he wants us to notice that prayer is appropriate for every season of life. Every season of life. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. I think sometimes it's not my first response. Like, I wanna fix it. I wanna do everything in my power to make it work. And then often I'll be like, why am I not praying? And it always is a place where I see a transformation in my thinking and, and the situation. Uh, I, um, Peter is a really good example of this. When Peter uh, exercised such great faith in Jesus, he said, can I come out and join you on the water? I'm gonna climb out this boat, Jesus, and I'm gonna come meet you, right? I trust in you. So he gets out, the boat walks out, and what happens? He starts seeing the storms around him, the trouble around him, and he starts to, starts to sink and the shortest prayer in the entire Bible, Lord, save me. Probably one of the most honest prayers in the entire Bible too. We could do a bit more with honesty, right? Where actually we say, from a, from really from the pain, and say, cry out to God, save me. Any of you in trouble? So in times of trouble, pray. James says, is anyone happy? Don't pray. Or pray, he says, let them sing songs of praise. It's prayer. Sing songs of praise. Recognize the truth of the words that James said earlier about God, that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good thing we have is from God. And if you're experiencing a season of joy and happiness, pleasant circumstances, don't take it for granted. Praise God. Let, it, let, it, let that be part of your prayer life, say, and sing it. something beautiful about singing. Remember, the Psalms are all songs. I wish we still had the melodies. I would love that. If we had the melodies, for sure, I think we'd never do any other songs. He'll song foo to you. We're gonna do Psalms (laughs) only, because we got the melodies, people. I would love to know what Jesus and his disciples sang after the Last Supper together, because it says they sang a hymn, then he went out to the garden. man. That would be a song. Maybe it was a terrible song. Maybe it's like, it's not very catchy. And it's in Aramaic, so that would require a lot of schooling to be able to even sing it. Okay, uh, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. There's no really equivocation there. It seems pretty clear. You know, and the word "sick" actually—I looked into this word. Uh, if any among you sick, it covers so many different circumstances. Remarkably, not just like a physical health thing, there is spiritual sickness. But not only that, but economic need. There's a there's a scripture where it's used where it, it seems clearly talking about <clears throat> poverty. Any circumstance of trouble it says, "Call the elders of the church." Those who've been tasked with, with leadership and, and authority and, and gather these people around you and then have them anoint with oil, which is this picture of the Holy Spirit and of joy and healing. Um, and have them pray a prayer offered in faith. So we're called to do this. This is what James calls his people to do. We're called to do this too. And we do seek to follow these instructions for how we organize. Sometimes you wonder why we do the things we do. We sing songs because we're praising God uh, we, sometimes we sing songs that express the difficulty of life and we're praying for our circumstances and, and we have prayer ministry here. We do anoint with oil for healing. The elders do gather around and, and that is open to any of you. In fact, it may be, you know we're really, really pressing into prayer and it may be that we actually do that more publicly. That if someone's sick, we may actually gather them here on a Sunday morning and we will pray over them because this is what James is getting at and we're gonna get to this. We're gonna get to this sense in this text, Um, but here's the thing. Prayer is deeper than simply asking God for relief in times of trouble or praising him in times of joy or receiving prayer for healing. Prayer is so much more intrinsic and deep than that. Prayer is our primary place of involvement in God's work on earth. Prayer is our primary place of involvement, partnership, connection, communion in God's work on earth. Jesus gives an example of a man from the Old Testament who would have been well known to his readers. They were Jewish Christians, and his name is Elijah. And Elijah was walking with God like Jesus moment by moment in his life, and God used him in tremendous ways. About Elijah, James writes Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. What is he trying to tell us here? Is it just that Elijah was kind of so powerful that he could stop the rain like King Canute trying to stop the tide? Elijah could make the rain stop, rain start. No, it's not that at all. It's that God was doing something through Elijah, using him to bring about his message and his presence and his Clear word to the people who were in sin, and Elijah was that conduit because he was already walking with God, already communing with God. So God said, Elijah, you pray this in front of the people, they would hear you, and I will act in this moment to do what I will do, and I will teach them something. And then when they have learned their lesson, I will use you, my friend, the one who walks with me, who always is with me, communing with me in prayer, to open the heavens, and the rain will come. You won't get the glory. but but you will get the joy of knowing that you are collaborating with me in this work. Um, N.T. Wright, English pastor and theologian, in one of his books writes, prayer is the place where our own present time and God's future time overlap. Prayer is the place where our own present time and God's future time overlap. As I'm praying with intention and the spirit in me is giving voice to what I'm praying for into what God is doing. We receive wisdom, guidance, and empowerment by means of prayer. And only by this means, only by this means of a consistent life of prayer in community With others, can we live in sync with God, discerning His will, His activity, and our place of partnership with Him? You know, we talk sometimes about the experiencing God concept. There's a book called Experiencing God, and it says that we're kind of called to see where God is working and join Him there. See where God is working, and join Him there. Say, "I'm I'm joining with you in this work, God, and you're calling me into this." Without prayer, we will not see, and we will not join. We'll just do programs. We'll just do stuff, religious activity of various kinds. This is a vibrant moment-by-moment moment relationship and life that we are sought to, we seek to live, and it requires communication and prayer with the God who leads us. Third thing James says is prayer is accessible to all. Hallelujah. Accessible to all, not just some priest in a castle or a monk in a monastery, whatever. All people He says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And Elijah was a human being, even as we are. This person, Elijah, whom God used was just like you and me. It's so important that James stresses that because we love to put people on pedestals. Elijah himself was probably revered to such an extent. I love that James says to his listeners, Elijah was just a person like you. Uh, There's a book called The Wisdom of Solomon. It's an apocryphal book. It's not in your Bible. But it is a kind of a um, B.C. kind of a set of writings, which is ascribed to Solomon. But there's a really cool little bit in there, which I want to share, about the commonality of being human beings. The writer says, when I was born, I gulped in the same air as everyone else. I dropped out onto the same earth that all people share. So it's kind of a bump. I let out my first cry that was just like the sound everyone else makes. That's us. All the same, Elijah was just the same. But he was righteous, right? Super righteous, because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What does that mean? I mean, look at Elijah's life. He had, he had some real failures there. You know, he actually had this great victory against these false prophets and stuff, but then he got frightened of this one woman who said she was gonna kill him, and he ran away off into the desert and he was afraid and anxious, no faith. He actually said, God, take my life. Let me die now, I'm done. What is a righteous person? Is it someone who has all the right religious words, who can say the right prayer words and put them in the right order? Is it someone whose life is all put together correctly? Jesus actually told a story about this, which I think uh, the best illustrations, man, for the stuff is Jesus. the stories that he told. Here's what he said. So to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance who would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Righteousness is, we don't have the righteousness that we need, but righteousness is gifted to those who recognize their need for Christ, for God. And, and, and uh, Roman, uh, to, to the Romans, Paul wrote, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is, it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Uh, righteousness is, is given to us through Jesus. Um, and, and, the, and the condition for receiving that is 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 to not think, to recognize your dependence upon God. Um, Elijah's name, actually, interestingly enough, means, my God is Yahweh. That's what Elijah means. My God is Yahweh. Yahweh is is what God introduced himself to Moses as. um, And and it's kind of a made-up word in a way because the Jewish people wouldn't ever say that name or write it down, so there was these consonants, and people put vowels between them to make Yahweh. But what it means is, what he said to Moses was, I am I am, he said, who shall I say sent you? Burning bush voice, I think you're God. I Say, I am sent me. That means the self-existent one, the one that's outside all the things, that needs nothing, that is before all things and after all things, this is the God that Elijah served. And he had connected with this God, was humbled in the process and was walking with him in communion because I am also means personal. I, personality, I am, you are, we are. And that's the call into that. So, three things so far. Prayer is appropriate for every season of life. There is no season of life where prayer is not appropriate. Prayer is our primary place of involvement in God's work on earth. And thirdly, prayer is accessible to all, from the smallest little child to the, what's the opposite of the smallest little child? The largest, older person. That's weird. Um, But it's really, when I was reading through this text, I got to the last part, and I was kind of puzzled by how the last two verses even fit with what went before. They seem like a change of subject. It's got prayer, 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 prayer. Then it says, my brothers and sisters, this is the last thing he says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, Whoever uh, turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. I was like, what? I almost like skipped that bit. I thought, most people probably won't be having a Bible, right? That's what I'm saying. I could put it on the screen. They won't realize there's another two verses left because no one ever brings their Bible to church except for Bill. Maybe a couple others. Yeah! Hold your, if you've got your sword, hold it in there. You know what I mean if you've been in church a long time. Wow, this is a pretty good proportion of people. Yep, electronic ones count. No, but um, I thought, I can't take that off. There's something here that we need to pay attention to. What has it got to do with prayer? And I think it's this. When prayer is widespread in the community, our community becomes a fundamentally different place. A place of humility, grace, compassion, hope, faith, joy, power, expectation, wisdom. And yes, we are then able to go after those who are wandering away from the truth, and that could look like anything. That's not just like sinning. Like you, you know, you saw them in a bar, and you're like, "Hey, buddy, you should quit drinking in the bar because it's bad. It's not Christian, right?" Um, it's anything. It's anything. It's anything where we fail to see who God is, who we are, and, and how, what it means to live in that light. And, and that happens to us all every day. We're always like the song, uh, "Come Thy Fountain of Every Blessing," says. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I love God, but I am prone to wander. So how does this work? Well, it ties in with the other parts of this section. It's about prayer and confession and healing and life. Prayer and confession and healing and life. There's a progression here. It starts off talking about, yeah, you know, you're in trouble, pray, happy times, sing praises. But then it says this thing about prayer and, and confession because actually the elders, it's not just, remember the first time I saw someone do this differently and, and, and we haven't really been doing this but it's something to think about uh, when the elders pray, often they'll anoint with oil in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and just pray for the person for healing. But James actually says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. I remember one time with a pastor of mine and he did this thing and I'd never heard this before. He said, is there anything you need to confess to us? This is the elders, right? We're sitting here. Is there anything that you need to confess to us? And, and, the, and the gentleman was a little taken aback, you know, but he, he shared a few things that were just not good, right? He felt a level of trust there. So that's just with this is just with people who have been kind of validated as elders of the church. They've been tested, right? We trust these people, they're trustworthy. And so in that context, they can actually receive that information. And it's this beautiful thing, because sometimes we confess, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that if we think it's so easy to confess to God, but yet so difficult to confess to a a person, maybe our confession to God ain't much, because it's too easy. God God calls us to have this sense of confession, so it starts in a very safe place with, with trusted leaders. But then James goes on to say, confess sin and pray for one another. That's another level, that's a progression into a more of a widespread level. Like your brothers and sisters who are in prayer, who who recognize their dependence upon God and who are just like you, now you go to them and say, I confess my sin. Whatever that might be, it's not again, I'm not talking about it's just some moral failing. I'm talking about that you've wandered in some way from the truth about God, about yourself and how those two things work together. And so the so it starts in the smaller place, goes into a wider place, and then finally. It's brothers and sisters in close community, and the saving life of Jesus pervades it all. This whole thing's not caught up in confession and healing and life. It's saving them from, from death. This is where the life comes, And then we can actually prayer at 10 uh, um, focuses us uh, spiritually to see better, to see our neighbor, to see their struggle, so that we, we, we know. Um, that they're not doing well. I have a picture on my wall, which I've got on the screen, um, which was in the first, the main church that I worked at, uh, at at Orcas Island. It was actually in the dumpster because they were doing a whole renovation thing. And I saw this picture in the dumpster and I rescued it from the dumpster because as far as I was concerned, this is the story of Jesus when he leaves the 99 sheep, right? The shepherd, and he goes to find the one. <clears throat> who is lost. And this part in James is really much like that. To go off to, to find that one who is struggling, who is lost. As these all kind of birds of prayer, ravens, whatever, about to take him out. And Jesus reaches down to, to pull him off the edge of the cliff, right? This is the kind of community that we want to be. And prayer is the only way that we can get there. Um, we must be a community of prayer to carry out that which God wants, which is to be a place of life, transparency, honesty. Um, when prayer takes place in the context of community to a deep degree, we will be truly alive to God, to one another, to our neighbors, and life will reign here. The Holy Spirit is the power of that Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the power with which we engage, with whom we engage in prayer. We pray in Jesus' name because he has signed off on our prayers and given us the righteousness that means we can come with boldness before a holy God and the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us and and dwells in us and even draws out sometimes what it is we should pray for. And the question today is, what kind of faith community do we choose? What kind of faith community do we choose? A.W. Tozer said this shocking thing a long time ago, but I think it applies till today. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. We may not notice Prayer is the catalyst for all that is, that is true and good and it is very quiet. The work of God is, it happens quietly and in the midst of all of our technology and our noise and our fury and our um, resources, we can just not realize the most important dynamic power in our midst is, is free and simply communing with God in prayer and it can't be substituted for. Jesus told a parable at one point to his disciples that showed them that they should always pray and not give up. And then at the end of that, it said, he said, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Uh, we're called to pray. Prayer builds us up in this faith. Prayer is nourishing, sustaining, maturing, and transformational, and, and we commit ourselves as New Song Church to make this be the center of our lives together. And it's not gonna be easy. Sometimes prayer is the hardest thing for me to, to, to do. It takes like it golf, like golf. It takes practice. It takes education. It takes understanding. And, and we commit ourselves to leading our congregation into a deeper understanding of prayer practices and actually having opportunities to do that. So I'm gonna invite the worship team up and get practical. We have a few prayer things already happening. One is that prayer wall back there. If you have a request that you want to remain anonymous, you simply take a piece of paper, write down the prayer, put it in that webbing on the back there, and people pray over that every single week. Um, We have an online, on the website, place where you can sign up for prayer. Um, In your worship guide this morning, there was a card um, and there are more out at the connection desk if you need one. Uh, where you can sign up to receive weekly prayer emails. Initially, when I first came here, we had about 12 people on it or so. Now there's quite a great deal more people um, who receive these uh, weekly prayer t- uh, lists that Wendy Martinez puts together for us. Uh, has a little scripture encouragement in there, and just the things that are on our hearts and our minds. The second thing is you can sign up, if you put your phone number on there, to receive emergency prayer requests via text. So that means if something happens, we've had several of these already, when just this is really serious right now, um, or it may even be just for something that, that one, of, uh, one of you guys are doing that requires a lot of prayer. You're, God's, you've seen where God's working, you're gonna step in and join him, and it could. there's a lot of potential for it to go wrong. You may get a text that says, please pray for this and this. Right? So the third one is a pastoral prayer guide. So, like, I, I've been doing a kind of a prayer every Sunday, and a couple of people have said that they found it kind of useful or helpful in how to think about prayer in the midst of our culture, our you know, government, all these kinds of things. So, if you want to receive that every week, the prayer that I lead on Sunday morning, kind of make it your own for the week, you can sign up for that. Uh, the next thing is that uh, we have prayer after the services. Um, Last Sunday, we had a meeting of our prayer team to talk about a, a very clear way of how we can do, have, have prayer be helpful at the end of services. So we have kind of a, an acronym, which is LIGHT, to guide those who are praying for people who come forward in helpful ways that, that hopefully will be good. And um, we were talking about why so few people seem to kind of take advantage of prayer after the service. And, and Fuzz Rana actually pointed out that I think sometimes we make a mistake, I think it's a mistake, of thinking that prayer is only for a time of crisis, that you just need prayer when things have gone wrong. You know, like If anyone in trouble, they should pray. What we need to understand now is prayer is just the ebb and flow of our lives together. So any Sunday, I, I hope to see more people praying with each other after the services that we have, and especially taking advantage of the people who are being trained in leading prayer uh, on Sundays after our service. Um, <clears throat> Ash Wednesday, uh, come to that uh, to set out on this journey for five weeks um, and you will be prayed with uh, at that time. Table talk, come along, have some soup, have some bread. Do what, do what the early church did. Gather around the word and around prayer and around food. Um, we have a membership class today. If you're interested in exploring what it means to be a member of New Song Church, come at one o'clock, we order some extra food So if you want to do that, you're not not a member, you you know what that means, come along. There's no obligation, but you'll get to discover and have an opportunity to sign up for that. And then one thing that Ronna and I have done that we learned from some really amazing older Christian friends who always did this um, is never walk away from a time with a brother or sister without praying together first, or at least offering to pray with them. Sometimes we'll like leave someone's house. Ron and I visited. We're all happy because it's been a great time. You know, our bellies are full and their hearts are full. And then we we get in the car and we're like, we didn't pray. And we've literally gone like back in and they're like, hello? And it's like, we didn't pray. Can we pray with you? You know, it's that important. So I would encourage us to make that a practice. If you're with somebody, it doesn't have to be long. Just say, can we pray together before we depart? And thus, we, we will start to make this more a part of our lives together. And we'll see, we'll see God at work as we press into that particular calling, which is so vibrant, so important. So before the, the, the band leads us in a, in a song of praise, um, I'm going to pray a pastoral prayer um, as we do. Let's pray. Father God, Lord of creation, our sustainer and redeemer, thank you for the gift of prayer, the welcome to pray, the invitation, a responsibility and a privilege. We want, Lord, to be a community who are deeply involved in this work before all other work. Give us faith, give us patience, give us perseverance. For those in any kind of trouble this morning, we ask for your close presence for them and that in your light, they might see light. We pray for the Triades as they experience the trauma of a loved one who is at the end of life on this earth. Strengthen and comfort them with your love. We pray for Grace Sierra and her family in their time of loss. Walk with them through this place of grieving. We pray for our sister Carrie Ryan as she continues to seek your healing for cancer. Heal her clearly and wholly. We pray for the Brownwood family and their daughter Grace as she continues to gain strength. And now uh, we silently lift up others of whom we are aware in the midst of trials. Just speak to God about those close to you who you see in this trouble. We rejoice with those who are happy, like this little kid over here. (laughs) Yeah, amen, my little friend. We praise you, God, that they have received from you good things that cause them to be grateful. Help us to be brave enough to reveal our true selves to others, that we might experience the joy, life, and freedom of communion with our brothers and sisters, of being known as we are, not as we would pretend we are. Help us to have compassion and understanding for one another, to refrain from judgment and self-righteousness, to love and to receive love. We pray for the other churches in our community that you yourself would call their people to prayer and that their voices would join with ours in asking that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, let's read together the Lord's Prayer. This is just straight from the text, so there's a bit missing at the end you're probably familiar with, But that was kind of added on. So let's read together uh, as we move into a time of praise. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.